You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the RSA Conference podcast. This is Britta Glade, Director of Content and Curation for RSA Conference, and I'm happy to be joined today on my virtual interview couch by Hugh Thompson, RSA Conference Program Committee Chair. Hey, Hugh. Hello, Brenna, and thanks, everybody, for joining us. We're really, really looking forward to today's podcast. So we are talking security operations and strategy, which is a very, very broad topic. It has implications on people, process, and technology within, within organizations. And we have two terrific practitioners with us today to share their perspectives and experiences. Julie and Dave, thanks so much for joining us. And Julie, uh, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, and Dave, please do the same. Certainly. Thanks, Hugh. Thanks, Britta, for having me here today. My name is Julie Fitton. I'm the Vice President of Digital Product Security at Stanley Black & Decker. It's a new role for me. I joined the company about six months ago uh, into a brand-new role that was newly formed as the company begins its transformation into a digital product company away from some of the more traditional products that you would normally think about Stanley in the household name categories, starting to add digital connectivity and adding all of the new risk profiles that are associated with IoT development and adoption up and down the technology stack. Prior to Stanley, I've been in the security industry for about 20 years before security was really a thing that you do, Um, and it's been a fantastic journey going through the layers of technology through the years and watching the changes as they grow. Fantastic. Julie, thanks so much for joining us, and Dave, I'll turn it over to you for an intro. Awesome. Thanks, guys, for having me, and uh, thanks, everybody, for joining. So this is Dave Shackelford. I have a couple hats that I wear. I uh, am the CEO of a company called Buddha Security. Uh, it's a security consulting firm. I'm also a senior instructor for the SANS Institute, and I've sort of found myself as the cloud guy for SANS, if you will. So I tend to focus a lot on things like cloud security, virtualization security, uh, software-defined security aspects of things and, and sort of the glue between all those things. But uh, I've, I've also been in the industry for about 20 years and have worn a lot of various hats over the course of that time. But I've been a consultant now full-time for about six years. And before that, I was the CTO for the Center for Internet Security and also worked for a security vendor uh, as their chief security officer. And prior to that, had a bunch of enterprise roles that uh, I won't bore everybody with, but I've been around for a long time, seen a lot of changes, just like everybody else. So glad to be here. Great. I, lo- I love that use of the word glue. It seems like in, in the best of organizations, that's what the security guy is, 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 is the glue that helps it all, helps it all stay together. Um, thank you both so much for being here with us today. Julie, I'd like to start the discussion focused on that people part of the equation um, that you were talking about. Uh, you mentioned you're, you're new into Stanley Black & Decker team, um, that product digitiz- 
digitization, that's a hard word to say, transformation. Um, interestingly, we've seen that bubble up a lot for many of our listeners. It, it seems like that's that's something a lot of organizations are going through right now. Um, so I think your perspective is going to be super helpful here. Can, can you talk us through how you identify the right people within your organization who need to be involved in that transformation? Um, specifically, you, as mentioned, you're traditionally – have been a consumer product-focused company, and what are the roles and the titles of the people associated with cybersecurity work now in the product IoT landscape? How do you get the right people having the right conversation and in the same room as stakeholders to guide the direction you're taking? That's a very interesting question, and as I've seen this uh, transformation beginning to unfold and, you know, to point of note here is that we are at the beginning of our journey, so I'm sure that in a year and two years we'll have even more lessons learned and stories to tell. But what has been very intriguing to me about coming into the product space in an IoT development world, and my product experience prior was in the cloud space where it was really still IT operations and staffed by folks with IT operational backgrounds because we were running a cloud, which is much like a traditional data center. It's just been productized. In the IoT space, we're now working with people with an engineering background, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, who are really changing their perspective and adding the computerized components and applications development work into the portfolio. What's very interesting about the cybersecurity aspects of it is that they don't necessarily see cybersecurity as someone else's problem or someone else's job. They view cybersecurity measures as being part and parcel of what they need to deliver as part of delivering product excellence for the company. There really isn't a demarcation line to say this person is cybersecurity and these people over here are product development and so the barriers of really integrating security in have dropped significantly um, as I'm seeing this transformation take place and really working with technologists that are not traditional IT backgrounds. It really just changes the game because they don't come to the table with any preconceived notions of how it should be. So the old adage of security is everybody's job really holds true in this space. At least that's been my early experiences here. Uh, my role that I'm taking on is at a corporate level that spans all products, and I have 19 different product development stakeholders that I'm working with, but the approach that we're taking is very collaborative. We're coming together as a digital product security council, cross-functional across all of our product lines, and sharing our lessons learned in different groups. From the central perspective, I'm bringing on resources with very specific capabilities that can be, provide mentorship and inputs into the product development groups in various areas that are important. One, of course, being on the technical front around reference architectures and ensuring security is designed into the um, building blocks of the product. Secondarily, that the as-designed becomes the as-built and having security testing and assurance capabilities available for the product teams to leverage is an important function uh, to have available centrally since it's a very specialized niche skill that may not make sense 
nor would there be full-time work for someone with that skill in any one particular product group. Then having uh, personnel who can help the business and organization run securely, the ongoing operational capabilities and functions that are required to maintain a secure posture after the first product gets shipped, which again for a much more traditional company that had shipped products and the, when the transaction completed, their responsibilities effectively ended, um, save a warranty call or something like that, uh, this is a real mindset shift mindset shift for the organization to start thinking about the responsibilities to their consumers extending beyond the initial transaction of the purchase. And so having someone who can help mentor them in the cybersecurity aspects of the run is crucial. Um, a secondary challenge, but just as important, is the contractual components and having the right overlays both on the supply chain coming into the products and with our customers to ensure the right degrees of uh, shared responsibilities are documented appropriately in the contracts and um, end user license agreements. So, you know, again, from a central program perspective, bringing in expertise that can help work with the product teams. But at the end of the day, the product teams own it as part of their functions, not as a separate person's role or responsibility within the product. Julie, I've, I've got to ask you. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fantastic way you describe the culture there. And for so many of our listeners, it's it, it's the aspirational state, right? I, I think about you know, other guests that we've had on and, and they want to get to the place that you describe, which is, hey, everybody thinks security is their responsibility. It's ingrained into the culture. But so often we hear, uh, hey, everybody thinks that security is this other person's responsibility, and that somebody's going to go and, and bolt it on for us. What advice would you give our listeners that are trying to get to the cultural place that you guys are already at. I mean, you talk about the electrical engineers and folks that are coming from a, a really a non-connected, at least Internet-connected world. How did you get them or how did the company get them in this place where they're really thinking that security is everybody's responsibility? I, I find that, that just fascinating and terrific. Well, I, I don't want to presuppose the conversation. I'm sure that we have some holdouts out there who still would like someone to come in with the silver bullet and solve this problem for them. But I think what it comes down to really is listening to your stakeholders. Um, as I've had the opportunity to come into a greenfield environment from a product security point of view, it's been a very unique opportunity because there hadn't been any program there before me who had instilled a certain way that it needed to be done. So it was it was a very unique opportunity from a personal perspective to come into an environment who had no expectation and I could start from scratch. Um, you don't you just don't simply find that often um, as a practitioner of stepping into a role like that. And the approach that I've taken is really to listen to my stakeholders and hear them out and make them part of the solutioning. And I've issued out, you know, the approach that I'm really taking as I go out into these conversations is I'm issuing a 1% challenge to the organization. 
And what does a 1% challenge mean, right? That means I am asking every employee that I come in contact with, every stakeholder, to dedicate 1% of their brain power to thinking about cybersecurity. And if we can truly achieve that objective, if everyone can just think about it a little bit in the context of the role that they play for the organization, we can achieve improvements in cybersecurity that I could never achieve even with an unlimited budget from a central point of view. So that's really the approach that I've been taking to try and, and break down those barriers, listening and asking people to participate actively and spend part of their brain power, this amazing engine that we have of brain power, to thinking about cybersecurity in their everyday roles. That's a really cool, that's a cool approach. So Dave, I want to continue with you on that theme of people, but jump, jump into the security operations center where those guys are thinking 100% of their brain about security all day, 24-7. Um, we've noted a trend with the submissions that we've received into conference, focus more and more on what are the characteristics needed for successful SOC analysts and 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 even with more and more organizations there's hunting, there's deception, there's there's other types of very deliberate approaches being taken. Um there's obviously there's a distinct collection of skill and personality sets being employed within most SOCs. So from your perspective what do you see as the skills that are most needed for today's security operations and analyst roles, and how do you see them evolving in the coming years? Uh, yeah, it's certainly changing a lot. I mean, we, you know, so I, and I can sort of reflect on this as also somebody who educates quite a few as, as a SANS instructor yearly, and I get really a, a broad variety of the industry coming into my classes and have a lot of deep discussions with students. So I, I tend to see some of the trends from that perspective as well, as much as being a practitioner in my own right. But what we're seeing emerge as really important skill sets, it, it's fundamentally focused around two things. It's, it's incident response and forensics as sort of one, you know, call it large bucket. And then it's event management on the other side of this. And, and event management in the sense not just of passively sitting around waiting for uh, syslog to, you know, collect everything and, and then go pour through it, it's proactively leveraging some indicators within the environment or proactively going and looking for unique events or proactive, you know, sort of indicator searches or hunting, as you will. Those are really the most valuable types of skills, and they are unfortunately in incredibly short supply. There's just not a lot of really experienced stock operators out there today, and, and the ones that are – tend to be very, very in demand. And, in fact, what we're finding is that an enormous swath of the industry, I mean, call it what it is, it's, you know, it's sort of the companies that may be, you know, sort of in, in you, know, uh, you know, not as big as cities or they're in places that uh, have a little bit of a tougher time attracting a talent pool. They are struggling mightily with getting people to, you know, sort of come from the San Francisco's and the Silicon Valley's and the New York's and the, sort of the bigger city areas where many of the large organizations are. And that's where those people cut their teeth and really learn where, uh, you know, they, they can apply those skills the most readily. So that is where we're finding enormous traction in the, in the industry is people that can sort of step in. But here's the problem. We need more tier one analysts. And, and really the biggest problem in security operations today is finding sort of smart and 
really, you know, people that can ramp up quickly as tier one analysts. And, and the problem, and there's so many problems, I mean, we could really just rail on them all, all day long in terms of there's just the products that are out there that haven't really been user-friendly and the just complexity of trying to get all the data in one place. And especially now, as somebody that's been dealing with event management for a long time, we used to say as security professionals, wow, I wish we had more data. Now we have too much data. And so people are sort of drowning in it and trying to wade through and find data that's really the most valuable. And people that don't have that experience, maybe they're one year, two years of experience, that's not enough. They're really unable to step in to, say, a Fortune 200 company that has incredible volumes of data and probably a highly complex SIM implementation and so on and just hit the ground running. It's really very tough to get those people in place and and sort of proactively have them go out and look for indicators of compromise and to search across the environment adequately and to be able to weed out false positives and look at things and go, eh, that's probably not something I need to pay attention to versus this over here that is. And so the skill sets we need, I mean, curiosity is the big one, of course, and as somebody that would hire a security operations person for whatever role, I would always want somebody that was curious because without that, it's, it's sort of a moot point. But you really need people that understand event data, how to go search for that, how to leverage it, how to tell a story out of that, and uh, and do so at scale. Dave, let me, let me ask you, the way that you describe this problem, lots of data, you know, we have more data that we can ingest, and then a skill shortage of people that can go in and actually ingest that data, hunt for indicators of compromise. On paper, it's the perfect AI problem. And I've got to ask you, you know, if I look back at RSA conference over the last two years, we have been inundated with presentations and submissions on AI and automation. How do you see this playing out inside of the SOC? Is it making a huge difference now? Does it have the potential to? And will it will it solve our people shortage if we can actually automate uh, some significant set of these tasks through AI? I, I think it, I think there's probably some promise there. Uh, you know, candidly, I, I and so you, I totally agree with you. I, there's there's a story to be told around AI and. Uh, since we're throwing buzzwords out here, let's put machine learning in the mix too. Um, but uh, you know, excellent buzzword ad and <laughs> automation. Throw that one in too. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. You know, heuristics. Yeah, let's just do it. Right. Somebody ring the bell. But uh, I'll tell you, um, those solutions that I've seen, number one, they're really expensive and they're never really as easy to set up as as I think uh, the, the market would have you believe. But number two. They're really pretty immature today. I I think there's a lot of evolving that needs to happen for a true AI to emerge that can tell a story there. I I look at this as sort of an expert system, if you will. You need really smart people that have seen it, done it, to put together some sort of highly scaled system uh, that that sort of does it better, faster, et cetera. I think that's the only way we're going to get there, candidly. I don't think human effort at any level is going to be able to solve this problem to a to a degree. I, I think we'll need systems to do that for us. And then you bring in smart people to sort of add that layer on top to go, okay, we've waited, you know, waded through all this data. Ninety percent of this stuff is 
in these various categories and slots, and we can deal with that. It's that other 10% that I'm going to focus my attention on and spend my time on, and automation does play a role there. In fact, one of the classic questions I ask people is, great, you've got an alarm going off in the SOC, and you have 200,000 endpoints as a global company. What are you going to do? How are you going to go investigate that? How are you going to actually figure out what the heck that means as a security operations team? And people throw their hands up and go, I, I have no idea. So we do need automation. We do need uh, solutions that are scaled. But more than that, we need sort of that intelligence centrally to be able to discern where to go, how to look for it, and what we're actually after in the first place. And, and right now, the solutions that purport to help with that through the use of AI and machine learning, it's, it's a lot more smoke and mirrors than I, I would like to see. I think it's got some, some maturation to do. And this is Julie. If I can interject a thought on this topic as well, um, I'm going to steal a concept that I heard from you, Hugh, at last year's RSA conference around the neighborhood watch potential of IoT. And I think that holds some very intriguing promise to adding additional data sources for this type of machine learning and AI capabilities for the enterprise. You know, the, the benefit that I think IoT brings into this equation is that they're very limited functional computers, and any traffic that's trying to hit them that is not legitimate is much more e easily identified as a malicious attempt. And I think that that type of data sourcing and figuring out how to collect that intelligence from the Internet at large holds tremendous promise to improving our abilities to reduce the noise and actually identify the things that are problematic coming at our enterprises. I think the big challenge facing us as a society is how do you share that information in an effective way that doesn't compromise your own security. I think that will be some challenges we'll face in the coming years. Indeed, indeed. So, Julie, I want to poke at that one a little bit more. Um, the threats that your organization, so back to that, that the IoT world, you're, you're in an IoT world, you're selling those devices out to the consumers. The threats that your organization thinks about are a little bit different than those faced by a traditional enterprise, which is protecting, defending its own assets. You have to think about different attack motivations. Um, specifically, your devices as part of a different and not even necessarily related supply chain and a whole host of issues that wouldn't have even necessarily been on your radar five years ago, three years ago. Um, using the past to predict an unknown future doesn't really work anymore. So how do you think about that threat landscape within Stanley Black & Decker? Well, it's it's definitely twofold. So my role is focused on the delivery of product, which is IoT-centric. And there are certainly challenges that our customers face, and they impose back to us. Um, more highly regulated, highly sensitive customers are, by default, um, inflecting security demands and requirements into the product portfolio. They have certain requirements that if you're going to plug this into my network, you can't be the weakest link in my network footprint to be the avenue into my crown jewels. So while typically the types of products that we're creating in and of themselves are not creating data points that alone are all that interesting to someone, they're not monetizable, it's not information that you would see for sale on the Internet, right? We're not processing credit cards, we're not, you know, handling 
um, healthcare information directly. We're not uh, we're we're not those types of products in our portfolio. However, we're selling to customers who are handling those types of information, and it's important to our customers. And when you have a customer pounding their fist on the table and demanding quality, it gets the attention of product um, marketing and delivery folks tenfold. On the flip side of that, we're also a huge manufacturing organization who's going down the Industry 4.0 avenue as well. It's a little bit outside the scope of my immediate program, but, you know, having the vantage point of being within the company, we see those challenges as well. Um, Factory automation and implementation, those networks are typically more loosely managed than your traditional IT data center networks. Uh, There's folks that are plugging in robots who don't necessarily fully have an end-to-end understanding of the implications of Internet enabling their manufacturing lines. And so I think there's some education needed uh, for IoT adopters in a general sense to understand the implications of plugging these things in on your network could be creating access points for attackers to come in, even if the devices themselves are not handling sensitive information, uh, much like in the target breach where an HVAC um, vulnerability was the initial path into the environment, right? I think that proliferates the more and more types of IoT, non-traditional technology products um, that we as practitioners start deploying in their networks. I do have a long-time practitioner background as well. I haven't always been product. So I also do very much understand those challenges of that balance between productivity and security and, you know, where do you draw those lines, how much of a hard line do you take. It's really a case-by-case conversation from one company to another as to how stringent they want to be and is oftentimes dictated by their own regulatory authorities that are coming down and being passed down to them. Julie, let me ask you, you know, I think that that's uh, just such a great articulation of the challenge inside product security, the things that folks need to be thinking about in that space. I'm curious, how do you see the separation between product security and IT security changing over time? You know, I think about so many traditional products that maybe weren't connected or weren't IT-centric that now are becoming connected. And then I also think about the infrastructure just of the company in general that would have source code repositories and would also maybe have cloud-delivered services that are feeding the products. How do you see that line changing over time between what is product security and what is IT security for the company? Yeah, that's a very interesting question to think about um, in future state for sure. I think, you know, you you kind of nailed it already with the question of there's clearly areas that are in the domain of product security, ensuring security features are in place, that the products themselves have secure operations. And there's clearly the, the more commonly understood IT security where we have a bunch of business systems with lots of sensitive information that need to be protected. And there is a huge gray area um, in where the 
business systems are relied upon for the bigger uh, analytical questions around the IoT data that's being collected. So oftentimes as a product vendor, your endpoints are sensors to some degree that are collecting information about what is going on at the endpoint and feeding that back up into a cloud. But that oftentimes gets augmented with additional data from your traditional uh, business systems that's necessary to add intelligence to that, right? It's this product part was issued to this customer, therefore I know that this should be shown back to that customer and correlations of those bits of information. And I think it's really a partnership between product security and the chief information security officer or whatever that title may be in the future. Uh, I think today what I see mostly is there is that chief information security officer role that has the IT focus and then a, a title of product security of some sort um, that really ends up being a peer in the organization at large. Uh, and then the source code repositories and the labs where code is being developed is another huge area. Um, and the two of those those things can be an enormous footprint. In some cases, in a large digital company, the lab environment where products are being built can be two or three times larger from a footprint perspective than the IT data center is. I think traditionally yeah. there has been this held concept that it, it's – not as targeted and there aren't it's not as regulated and so it becomes really more of a factor of protecting your secret sauce and your intellectual property and i really think it's going to be a case by case basis within a corporation of sorting out where the gray areas reside either in more the IT or the product and as long as they're all covered it doesn't really matter to me <laughs> No, and, and I like the way that you described it, which is a, a true partnership in between those two areas. And, you know, it, it, it's so interesting as you think about how that infrastructure itself might be run in the future. And this is you know, across almost every industry. And, and Dave, I, I can't pass up the opportunity to describe, describe yourself as the cloud guy. Uh, around that infrastructure, because I'm seeing so many companies now that are going back and really reconsidering where they are going to run some of that infrastructure, where that infrastructure is going to exist. Should it exist in a, a private cloud? Should it exist out in the public cloud somewhere? Obviously, that's going to change from process to process, company to company, but I'm I'm really curious, if you look at that space, how are you seeing people rethink their not just IT infrastructure but their security infrastructure given that there's so much cost opportunity out in the cloud? Yeah, well, I think what security professionals have realized is that they, they have to rethink this, of course. Um, cloud's not going to stop. In fact, it's, you know, that, that snowball's rolling pretty quickly down the hill. And I, I think what it's actually made a lot of security, and not just security, even IT operations teams come to the realization of, is that there are, no, there are a number of areas that may not inherently be core competencies for the organization. How many organizations are really good at IT and really would chalk that up as a true business enabler that they excel at? I think if you're being honest with yourself, most 
companies don't necessarily have that as a, uh, you know, sort of major strength. So they look at cloud providers and say, well, maybe there's opportunity here. Maybe there's things that we can do better, faster, more efficiently. But what security teams are finding is that, number one, there's a distinct lack of transparency there. So there's still a bit of a black box syndrome with putting assets out into the cloud and feeling as though they're getting enough information from the providers in, uh, in the first place. That, that's a big that's a big problem. It's more of a governance problem in a lot of ways, but it is certainly a problem for security professionals. But for those that are a bit more progressive or that have been doing this for some period of time, what's really starting to shake out of this whole thing is the idea that perhaps we have new opportunities too based on the way the cloud assets are being put into practice. And what that means is that we're getting away from the classic notion of blinking boxes and racks that do things for us in, in a security sense. We're having to move towards software-defined models of things. We're having to leverage virtualized sorts of you know, firewalls or network-based security. We're having to look at some of the cloud providers' native capabilities. We're having to build in automation strategies, especially as things are progressively going faster and faster. And there comes that real dawning moment within security teams that many of the tools, many of the products we've been familiar with or been comfortable using over the years aren't the same ones that we're going to be using in the cloud. So we're having to do a comparison. If I go down the list of my various controls and what I've been using to meet compliance requirements and satisfy policy needs, you know, what I've been using internally may not even be in the cloud. I may not even have an option with vendor X. So I have to look at someone else. I have to look at different types of options and operational practices. And so it really is driving what I would call nothing short of a paradigm shift in the world of security operations today. We're seeing this real uh, sort of embrace of this notion of security with DevOps and automation around that, and you'll, of course, hear people calling that DevSecOps or SecDevOps, but I really feel that that's where we're going to end up going, and so it's this sort of conflux of IT ops and security ops, realizing some of these things might be better let go, right? Let's let the cloud provider handle that. We're not really excelling at it already internally. Maybe that's something that they do a better job of, and they've got, you know, more careful control around, and then we just adapt our security models and processes and controls to better fit that. So I, I'm seeing a, a huge shift in a lot of the organizations out there, at least for some things. There's still some hesitance on the part of organizations with really sensitive data going to the cloud, at least in some cases. And that's probably prudent, but more and more, I, I think we're going to find that we're split between public and, and sort of internal uh, assets as far as this goes. Been a really good conversation. Um, what I what I love as a human, because I am a human, is is what I'm hearing is as humans still have a job um, five ten years out. We're just finding ways to use our, our human brain power better. Um, it was interesting. Hugh and I had noted a, a shift in the, the submissions that have come through the RSA conference. Just you know the, the different tone of machines are scary, machines are bad. They're taking over the world to, oh, they're going to do everything for us, and now it feels like we're, we're arriving at that kind of, kind of steady place where we're, we're understanding what we can do, um, automation, machine learning, AI, that, that trifecta, raise the glass. Um, we've got some maturity, right? I'm hearing from you, Dave. We've, we've, got, we've got a ways to go, but we're learning some things that we can do there to make us humans more effective. 
Um, I liked you describing curiosity as the most important skill needed for those those folks working in the socks. Um, maybe maybe the things that drive me crazy with my kids are actually going to be good in the back end. That that curiosity is a good thing. Um, Julie, I love the guidance that you gave us to that one percent challenge. Um, that's pretty cool. If if one percent of your brain power thinks about security, how could our organizations be different? That's an interesting challenge. Uh, to make within an organization. And then the way we engage with stakeholders and the buy-in within our organizations, the partnerships within our groups, again, circling back to that people part, the people part of the, the conversation and the equation to make our, um, our organizations more operationally effective. So um, a lot of really good guidance here today. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Julie and Dave, for joining us um, today to share your thoughts. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks again. Really, really appreciate a great discussion, and everyone, we look forward to seeing you on the next podcast. Thanks so much for joining us.